Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our very first Match of the Week episode for the 2024 season. If you are new to the podcast, we started doing this two years ago in blog format, and then we brought it to the podcast last year. Each and every week throughout the regular season, we cover one men's and one women's Match of the Week that we believe is the most compelling. And that doesn't always mean the top-ranked matches. Sometimes it's matches with significant stakes or really unique narrative. We like to spread the love around throughout the regular season. And the way that we cover these episodes is we start with why did we choose this match? What makes it a match of the week? What are the intriguing storylines or narratives that we're watching for? We'll walk through the projected lineups. And then lastly, we will make predictions. And of course, joining me to break down this blockbuster match is Ethan Moskowski. Ethan, I know I said these matches of the week aren't always the top ranked teams, but in this case, it absolutely is, as we are previewing number one, Virginia, at number three, Texas, a rematch of the 2023 NCAA semifinal. How are you feeling about this blockbuster kickoff? I mean, you described it perfectly, right? You got to start with a bang, right? So why, why start match of the week with anything other than then the match that I think a lot of us at the outset of the season would say, if this is the the last match of the year in May, wouldn't surprise us, right? You might as well might as well kick it off with a big one. So this match is on Thursday, 5 p.m. in Austin. And shout out to both Coach Pedroso and Coach Burke for scheduling this match to essentially kick off their season. We saw both these teams in action, but this is certainly the first ranked test for both of them. Despite coming into this season, we had a whole episode about these two teams being the favorites. There actually isn't that much history behind these teams together. Ethan, trivia question for you. When was Mm. the last regular season match between Texas and Virginia? Regular season. Regular season. Would that count indoors? We can count indoors. Oh, actually, I was going to say is if that helped, but I actually don't think it does. (laughs) Um... The last regular season, because there have been two NCAA matches in the last handful of years. Yep, 2017 and, then, and 2023. Both Virginia wins, years that Virginia also won the NCAA title. Oh, wait. They played a regular season match in Austin when Brian Boland was still the coach in 15? Uh, a little earlier. 13? 13. 2013. Yeah. So it's been a very long time since these yeah. two programs have competed against each other in the regular season. Interestingly, every time in recent memory that Texas and Virginia have played, Virginia has gone on to win the NCAA title 2013, 2017, 2023. So my question for you, Ethan, is given that lack of history. It's not like these two teams have an annual match that you see sometimes with these programs. Why do you think Coach Pedroso and Coach Burke chose to schedule this match? And why do you think it fell so early in the calendar? Um, well, the, it, okay, so that's two sort of separate questions that are that are just two parter on this. The, the, yeah, yeah. The, with the first part, I think there's, there's obviously there's a competitive advantage to, to playing against each other. And, and I think there's a lot of respect between the coaching staffs and the two teams. I think you know, you can watch a lot of mid to late NCAA 
matches and, and see a, a pretty decent amount of animosity and it can get pretty ugly and chippy. And I just, if you watched that semifinal last year, I don't think you would have gathered that. And so I think there's a, there's a pretty deep respect between the staffs of both teams, the players on both teams. And I think they sort of know, right? I, I think coming into this year, it was not hard for everyone to look around and look at the landscape of college tennis and go, okay, we're probably the two best teams right now. Um, and so there's, there's a, there's an obvious reason for them to get, get a match on the schedule that leads into the second part of the question, which is why early in the season? Well, it's a great way to, to get everything kind of sharp before indoors and you, you, you have open match dates and you don't want to put, you know, the, the, the hand of cards that you're going to come into NCAAs with is a very different one than you, you know, what you're going to have on January 18th. So you probably don't want to show your cards on May 1st, but you're fine showing them in January. It's a good tune up for both teams. They have, obviously there's serious ranking ramifications um, because they're the one in three team in the country. Um, if UVA were to win, that's a top five win on the road. If Texas were to win, that's a win over the number one team in the country. So those are very high value wins when we switch over to the computer rankings. Um, but between now and indoors, when we're just going on coaches poll, the likelihood of losing the match having any real ramifications on your coach's poll ranking is pretty limited. Uh, so it's, it's mostly upside for both teams. And, and like I said, early in the season, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, and this is an opportunity for two teams who, like I said, have that, that deep, deep respect for one another and understanding that, you know, these two teams could be the teams that we see May 17th or whatever it is at the national championship. So why not, you know, why not get one on the, on the schedule and, and get a little competition going against one another and, and sort of see where you stack up. You know that this is who you're going to be competing with all year. So you might as well get a baseline sort of diagnostic level understanding of, of where you stand as, as compared to your uh, biggest competition. Yeah, it's a great measuring stick early in the season. Get familiar with some of these faces that you might face either at indoors or in May. I like that point about how different these teams could be between January and May. And you're not totally unveiling what those improvements and developments are going to be. And we'll talk about this as we get into the projected lineup. But there's certainly pieces of both of these lineups that you expect to look very different in May than you do in January. So... You touched on this a little bit, but why did we choose this match to kick off matches of the week? It's pretty self-explanatory, but of course, this is a rematch of the 2023 NCAA semifinal. And we've gotten a really good kickoff to the start of the season. We had a women's rematch between number two, Texas A&M, number four, Stanford, a rematch of the NCAA quarterfinal. Now we get this on the men's side. If you don't remember that match, Virginia won 4-1. This was a Virginia team that turned things around pretty significantly from their quarterfinal match. They were lights out in doubles, getting 6-1 victories at 2-3. and three. Then it got a little dicey there. Texas came back. They win four first sets at 2-3-4-5. and five. Micah Braswell shuts the door on Jeffrey von der Schulenberg at 3. And really, you could really point to that match from Micah and say that's where things started really clicking with him. He had a nice run at NCAA individuals. He certainly had a great fall winning the ITA fall national championships. Now number two ranked in the country. And then things started to click for Virginia. You started to see some of those three set wins. You had Dahlberg get, get off the court at six gets win over, over wall deep. And then finally Alex Kiefer, the junior there get the win over Cleve Harper for the clinch. So both of these teams will remember that match very well. Certainly, we remember it as fans. Any other reasons that stick out to you for why this match is the match of the week? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a couple of superstar freshmen on on both teams, and this is going to be the first real opportunity to 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 get a real sense of where they stand. You know, it's fun to look at results against Lamar and Abilene Christian, Liberty and James Madison, and and reflect on the capabilities of of freshmen, but they're really not. Unfortunately, they're not great measuring sticks to really understand where you know where the where the players necessarily exist and in the lineup but also as compared to their toughest competition it's possible we see those two superstar freshmen play each other it's possible we see them play very senior members of you know the other one's team so as it as it pertains to geo bailey and and dylan dietrich this is the first real test that we're going to see and i think both teams are going to need both players to be really really great if they want to maximize this season and so for both teams this is a really big you know, like I said, big sort of diagnostic moment where, you know, where do our first year stand? Uh, this is their first experience in really high level competition. It's going to be a really competitive match. It might get a little chirpy. You never know. Um, so this is the first way. This is the first time to really uh, evaluate them in in the sort of situations where you're going to need them to be great come come May. Yeah, I think the freshman debuts are a storyline for both teams. I think just to double click on storylines for Texas, they're bringing in Jill Bailey, his first match here in under the bright lights, you can say, as well as the addition of Jonah Braswell from Florida. And it feels like a moment to really announce this team as a national championship title contender by knocking off number one Virginia and doing what they couldn't do in the NCAA semifinal. Another thing I'm looking for here as a storyline for Texas is just building that confidence. I think you want to go into May knowing that you can beat Virginia. I think a loss here is something that's going to be tough for them to face in May if they have to face Virginia, where they've now lost both in the NCAA tournament and in the regular season at home. I think for Texas to really have that confidence in May, a win here goes a very long way. I think they can sell themselves on, if they beat Virginia here, hey, we're better than this Virginia team, we can beat them, that they can ride that into May. So those are the storylines I'm looking for for Texas coming into it. On the Virginia side, I'll turn it to you. What are some of the storylines that you're curious about for this Virginia team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of a, a 2.0 version of what we were talking about last year with with this UVA team, which is what you know, what and who are we going to see on courts five and six? Um, you know, this year it's even less clear cut in terms of who we're going to see, just given what Virginia's done in the first weekend with you know playing almost everybody. It seems like they had on their roster, so it's going to be pretty unclear until we, you know we get to singles even who who's actually going to step foot on court 5 and 6 but then once we figure out who those players are you know what are what are we going to get from them you know one would think that we're going to certainly see Alex Kiefer who you know we've spoken about was a stud down the stretch won a huge match against Cleve Harper in that NCAA semifinal uh played one of the two matches that UVA played on Saturday in singles didn't play the other one um but then you have Mons Dahlberg you have Eduardo Graziani, you have James Hopper, who played, you know, James Hopper is actually the only one of those bunch that played both singles matches uh, on Saturday when they had their doubleheader. So you've got a lot of choices on five and six, certainly. I think we sort of know what we're going to get from Virginia's top four. Um, but then, you know, who and and in what order and what's the quality of Virginia's five and six is going to be a big storyline, particularly against Texas, where at the outset, right, when we did our Contenders podcast, our, our perception was, 
Texas's biggest advantage is going to be on court five and six. That That's going to be their biggest advantage all year long. So for UVA, this is one of those moments where, hey, can they convince themselves, sort of like what you were saying about Texas, hey, no, we can win matches on five and six. We did it in January. We know we're going to be even better in you know in May and use that as a as a method to sort of catapult some confidence as, as they go forward. I think, I think that's the really big one, but then it's going to be hard not to watch court one, right? I mean, you're going to be there. You're, you're going to be there, but I imagine you know all eyes are going to be on court one and just see what do we get from that that Chris Elliott match because those two guys seem like two of the you know handful best players in the country. They were going to battle last year at NCAs. They DNF'd with you know Chris about to serve for it uh, five three in the third, I think. So let's hope that they actually get a full match and we can we can see out that whole you know that whole entire match. But it's going to be hard not to watch that. You know, I think. I think Chris actually comes in as the underdog, which is rare for him these days. Elliot's been the number one player in the country for you know the vast majority of the last year and a half. So uh, that for Chris, that's a big moment as well. You know, can can he you know put his foot down as as the best player in the country? And this is a big opportunity for him. Well, my eyes won't be as much on that match, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I will be there in person. I'm excited. The weather looks good. I know right now it's very cold in Austin, but we're looking like high of. 68 and so maybe about 60 at match time i'm looking forward to it so it should be fun but i am looking forward to seeing players like dietrich players like jill bailey who i haven't seen in person before i know what to expect from rodesh and spiz it's going to be tough not to focus too much on it but yeah i'm going as a as a scouting report right (laughs) to try and understand um what both of these teams really have to offer i think you're overlooking a huge storyline here and that is the fact that this virginia team has won back-to-back ncaa championships but they suck january and february (laughs) mostly just mostly just february to be fair they've actually been okay in january it's really been and and then and then the falls off the cliff in february it's really been february 1st through about 17th that have been (laughs) that have been the real trouble area but just to put Um, a finer point on that so They've lost about four to five matches in January and February the last two years. And in 2022, we saw them lose five straight matches for the first time since 2003. So this is, and we've talked about this before, right? The improvements that this Virginia team makes and becoming the best version of themselves in May. So that sort of lingers in this matchup, which is, do you get May Virginia in this match? And do, or do you get, the team that is yeah. assuredly going to lose this match. Yeah. That to me is an open question. I mean, I I, I actually think that the the correct answer is we're, you're probably going to get something in, in between. You know, I, I think this Virginia team, two years of experience, two years of going through that, they've they've learned lessons. And I think, you know, they've the way we say, oh, they learn lessons and they're better in May. I think they've learned some lessons and they're they're going to be better this year early in the season than they were last year, which was better than they, than they were in 2022. Like you said, five straight matches. Um, that said, are we going to see the version of them that's going to be there in May? No, I can guarantee you that this UVA team, this is you're, you're at ground zero with this, with this UVA team and, and it's just going to get better. You know, this is, this is the very, very bottom end of what this UVA team has to offer. That doesn't mean it's going to be a bad product. It doesn't mean that they're not a good team, but you know, I think the, the proof is sort of in the history of what's gone on the last two years. We know that what we're going to see in UVA is we sort of turn the corner into March is going to be the beginning of of sort of unmasking how good this UVA team is that doesn't mean they can't have a very good indoors campaign doesn't mean that you know they're they're going to be you know much better than losing five straight but 
um, my my guess would be that we're we're going to see the best early season UVA that we've seen in the last you know handful of years. Where, like you said, it's been a little bit of a of a mess and it's been a bit chaotic. I would imagine this UVA team is going to handle these moments a little bit better. That's not a guarantee that they're going to win, but better than what we've seen in years past. And one of the implications of this mess, to use your words, over the past few years has been seating indoor implications. Seating. Yeah. Well, not just indoor seating, but also NCAA seating, because particularly in the past few years when the ACC has not had been as strong at the very top, Virginia has scheduled very aggressively in a lot yeah. of these out-of-conference matches, and they've lost a lot of them. Yep. When you fast forward in May, the winner of this match on Thursday is going to have that feather in their cap when it comes time for the rankings for NCAA seeds. This is a Virginia team who hasn't been a top four seed in the last three years. We're yeah. Five I in mean, 2021, seven in 2022, five yeah. in 2023. You know, I'll, I'll make a, a slightly different point as it pertains to the importance of the match. You know, uh, if you if you do want to put Ohio State into that top group, which I think is worth doing, um, Ohio State and Virginia have a match also before indoors. These are all coaches poll. Uh, Texas and Ohio State don't play until after indoors, I believe, which means that if UVA were to win this match, Texas is in all likelihood going to come out of this the three seed, no matter what they do between now and indoors, which is not so good for them. The alternative could be true except if you know virginia has a lot of options to play with like you said they schedule very aggressively late january early february so virginia's got i think it's four four top ranked matches top 10 matches between now and, and indoors that's the most between them texas and ohio state so for virginia you could argue that this is the least important match because or it's less important for them than it is for texas because they have the most you know matches to work with between now and indoors and your indoor seating is actually you know, we, we like to talk about the the ranking implications. The indoor seating is a really, really, really big factor in the ranking implication because uh, that's still determined by the coaches' poll. If you can win two matches at indoors, the likelihood that you come out in the top eight is pretty high. Um, whereas if you wind up being the 13 seed, which I believe is what UVA was in 2022, having lost three straight matches going into indoors, and then you lose two matches at indoors, I believe they came out of indoors 21 in the country. So there's there's a big swing that can go on from a ranking perspective, but I do think the coaches are probably going to be more deferential towards Virginia, Texas, and Ohio State this year than we've seen in years past. I think there is an understanding among a lot of coaches that, hey, these three teams are, you know, maybe a step ahead of the field, even if we're not going to see the best version of them, you know, on January 20th. Yeah, but that's why the fact that Virginia has not been good during this during these months in the last few years becomes important because if they don't get these wins here, it won't, it will, they won't precipitously drop from the coaches poll. They'll be seated fine for indoors. But when you then look at the resume come May, yeah, they're likely to be the three seed. No, likely, the, the, well, the, maybe the, even not because they mm, could get crowded out by a TCU mm, team who also has a lot of aggressive scheduling. If Virginia continues to go winless in these out of conference competitive matches, it's not yeah, going to be helpful. But the ACC is better this year. And the likelihood of TCU doing what it's done in the past couple of years, which is essentially take its biggest rival in conference, play four matches and split them 2-2 is very low. I, I don't see TCU beating Texas this year. So I think there's a pretty good chance that the ranking points, especially with Duke this year being probably a top eight team or potentially a top eight team, the likelihood that UVA is able to bank more points in the ACC than TCU is in the Big 12 is 
good enough. I'm not too concerned about that. But yeah, I mean, it. you point out something correct, which is the fact that UVA has been so sort of mediocre through January and February has, to some people, created a, a lack of legitimacy to their two titles. Oh, it's been lightning in a bottle. They've showed up in May and been the best team. They're not actually the best team. I think they hear that. I imagine that that's something they want to change. So, you know, we'll see if we get a, a better UVA team on, you know, in late January, early February this year. You got to have to watch and, and let them play. The But the product that you see against Texas is the first big match of the year. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be pretty probably from either side. Well, so let's talk about those projected lineups and who yeah. we might see. Before we do that, though, I just want to get your thoughts because I don't want, don't want to talk specific lineups from Virginia or Texas yet. I just want to talk a little bit more broadly about what goes on. What is the strategy that coaches, not just these coaches, coaches in general, employ when they schedule a lot of these very early season, softer cupcake matches, when you see all sorts of players playing in, in interesting orders. What's going on? What are those coaches trying to accomplish in doing that? Well, so you've got a couple of things. The first is the obvious. They want to get guys reps. And so, you you know, you're going to see guys play a lot of matches, double headers, things like that. And, and that's to get guys rep. That's to get guys reps up and down the lineup. So that's not necessarily just your top six. That could be your number nine guy. You know, they want to get the, the number nine guy to, you know, two matches under his belt and, and get him into the swing of things. The second thing that happens is the likelihood that your lineup is protested in a match when you're playing, to use the example from Texas, Lamar, or when you're playing James Madison, to use Virginia, the likelihood that your lineup gets protested is fairly low. And so it gives you a lot more opportunity to play around with your lineup and put guys in in positions where maybe if UVA and Texas were playing and you put that match on paper immediately, there would be a protest to the lineup. The advantage of doing it early in the season is if a player were to get a win at a, at a spot that might seem higher than they should be playing, it further legitimizes playing them in that spot. Um, so you'll see a lot of weird lineup machinations. You'll see guys playing way out of position sometimes because it just strengthens the argument that they can play at a higher spot than you might think or a lower spot than you might think. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other, the last thing is, hey, you know, in Virginia's case, for instance, I believe they essentially pulled what we would view as being four of the or three, maybe four of their six starters for their match against James Madison. The confusing thing about that is when you go look at the results, assuming that, you know, the coach doesn't have access to the lineup card immediately, a, a third party coach, meaning not James Madison and not Virginia, they can't tell the order that guys were necessarily played in, even though they were pulled it still matters that they were played in that position because you cannot move a player from their li their listed lineup position. You cannot move them more than two spots in one match. You can only move them one spot. And so, for instance, if a player were to be positioned at two for a match and then pulled, it doesn't matter. That, that player can't be forced to play four the next match. Um, and so there's a little bit of trickery and tomfoolery and 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 you know some gamesmanship that goes on here in terms of putting guys in spots and then pulling them they don't even play just to make sure that there's a there's a limit on exactly where they can be forced to move around in the lineup by their next match. We've seen and we're going to talk about it both UVA and Texas have probably taken advantage of this in the last couple of couple of matches that they've played and it, it's going to it's going to yield for some interesting sort of charades and games to be played uh, on the night of on Thursday. Yeah, so a few things I want to underscore. The first is like why 
are these schools less likely to get protested? It's because these other schools, in this case, a Lamar or James Madison, want to keep playing these schools that are top in the country. And if you're being difficult and protesting lineups, you will no longer get the opportunity to play these top teams. So when you schedule these teams, they're less likely to protest. That is what Ethan was referring to there. And then the other thing is that what you mentioned with the the secrecy of it, right? You could have two guys flipped in some order, but they don't show up on the lineup. They were on the lineup card that they were pulled. pulled. And so you don't really know where they were. And the last thing is, why is it important to get a win at certain positions? That's ultimately one of the main factors that's used in protesting. And if you can say, hey, this guy played at number two, guess what they don't really take into consideration is sort of the strength of that team. Yeah. So some guy on your team has a 3-0 and record at number two. When the ITA officials are looking at this, they're not looking through and saying, yeah, but that was Lamar and blah, blah, blah. Like it's 3-0 and at two. That's all that matters. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting and it segues us into what did we learn a little bit about some of these teams? What are they maybe trying to pull off? Ethan, I want to start with you on Texas. What were some of your takeaways from their first few matches here this past few days? Yeah, I mean, I think the big lineup takeaway is the ordering of uh, Gilles Bailey, Micah Braswell, and uh, PYB. That's the real, the meat of that lineup, which is, you know, presumably spots two, three, and four, and how they were going to be ordered was one of the really kind of huge questions coming into uh, the season of what are they going to do with the middle of their lineup? So their first match, they actually the, all the matches they played, they've they played them in the order of Jill Arno Bailey, uh, Micah Braswell at three, and then um, uh, Pierre Eves Bailey on court four. The interesting part of this is the matchup that they're trying to create, we think, with the University of Virginia, which is Bruce Burke and Texas probably want to keep the Micah Braswell, Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg matchup that they won fairly handily at NCAAs last year. And this is where the games begin. So Texas plays its first match prior to UVA playing its first match. You can see the lineup that's put out there, which is Spiz, GAB, Micah Braswell, PYB, and UVA responds by playing Dylan Dietrich, their freshman, ahead of Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg. And therefore, UVA's lineup is Rodesh, Montez, Dietrich, von der Schulenberg. So the... Well, we don't know about Montez. Sure. Sure. Montez gets pulled. And so there's a question of whether or not... Where is Montez in the lineup? Is he two? Is he three? Is he four? In all likelihood, he's two, which is where we last saw him playing dual matches. He has... I think he might have the highest ATP ranking on the team. Um... It would be surprising to me if he was playing three. That would certainly prompt a protest. Um, well, I think it was a surprise to see Dietrich above Jeffrey right. von der Schulenberg. And and so this is now the game, right? This is the game that that's gonna you, we're gonna see how this plays out uh, in Austin on on Thursday night because it seems fairly clear to me that you've got one team trying desperately to get a matchup and one team trying very hard to avoid that matchup, and. You're pl- now you're in a little bit of a game of chicken, mm-hmm. which is to say, does Bruce Burke see Jeffrey von der Schulenberg playing below Dylan Dietrich and go, this isn't worth a protest. Dylan Dietrich won his match playing ahead of Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, six love, six love. This isn't worth a protest at this point in the season. So I'm going to move Micah back up to court two 
ahead of Gio Arno, Arno Bailey and play the two freshmen against each other and bet on his freshmen? Is he going to leave it and protest? Or is he going to leave it and not protest and say, that's fine, I'll take Jeffrey against PYB, I'll take uh, Dietrich against Braswell, and and uh, then if it's Montez and, and the younger Bailey brother, so be it. Uh, and then is Andres bluffing? Does Andres flip his li- lineup back in sort of in a reverse psychology way, expecting that that he's won this sort of mental game and, and that Bruce Burke is going to play around with his lineup and therefore he can play Jeffrey at three and Dietrich at four and avoid the Jeffrey Braswell matchup anyway. So it's it's a little bit of a game of of poker and everyone right now, it's very easy to keep your poker face. You know, UVA is still in Charlottesville. Texas is at home. They're miles and miles away from each other. But during this will all, you know, this will all come to a head during the warmup on Thursday night. Uh, for these for these early season matches, these non you know these non conference non tournament matchups, the way that this works is literally during the warm up, the two coaches are going to go meet with the head ref and they're going to put their lineups out at the exact same time. They're not going to be able to adjust it once they see what the other person's done, unless they're pulling a player, uh, and it'll be like a game of heads up and and we'll see sort of who won this little battle within the war. Um, so it you know it'll be a very interesting thing to see how this plays out and. You know, are they both serious about riding with the lineup that they've created? It's very possible that both coaches are saying, no, there's no game being played here. This is this is our lineup. This is the way we want to play our team. You know, this is the way it is. We'll see. So do you think this all hinges on one team trying to get Braswell versus von der Schulenberg and another team trying to avoid it? Or are there other matchups that you think one team might favor over another? I mean, I think that's the crux of it. I you know, I I think that's probably the the biggest one because it was the matchup that was is number one other than Elliot and Chris, which you can sort of put to the side because they're both going to play one for there's yeah, no there real no argument chicanery there. Okay. Yeah. Other than that match, it's it's the match that's most likely to be repeated. Right. We're probably not going to see Montez and Bailey, the older Bailey again, since older Bailey is now playing four. Montez is likely slotted at two. The likelihood of seeing that one again is very low. Um, and then the matchups on court five and six are unlikely to be repeated either, given, you know, we haven't seen Cleve Harper yet, but also Nevin Aramilli's not there anymore. So there's that. And the matchup on four, same thing. Ryan gets no longer, you know, is no longer on the UVA team. He graduated. So it's the matchup that's most likely to be repeated. And it came out pretty strongly in Texas's favor. So it seems like that's probably the, you know, the crux of things. It's quite possible, though, that one of the coaches sees something. Maybe, you know, maybe Andres really likes the matchup with Dietrich and, and Micah Braswell. Or maybe, you know, maybe he wants to get Montez against this person or that person. And the same thing could be could be true of uh, Coach Burke. So you sort of don't know. But from the outset, it, it seems like given that that's where the shenanigans seem to be with both teams, it seems like it's about that matchup in particular. You know, Micah Braswell's had an amazing fall. He's the number two player in the country. The only person ranked higher than him is the guy who's playing one on his own team. So it seems like he should be playing two. Um, that's not to say there isn't an argument for uh, for for Gio Bailey to be playing two, but uh, to move him to three and then to have Andres respond by moving Jeffrey to what seems tentatively to be four sort of, I think, tells you a lot of the story, but there could be more behind it. Absolutely. So a few other lineup takeaways I had on the Virginia side, one, no Inyaki Montez for their opening weekend. So we don't know if he maybe is ill or injured. We don't know for sure if we will see him in the Texas match. So that is a question mark. 
The other thing on the Virginia side was when we did see a lot of those four through eight guys play, the order that was rolled out was Graziani, the transfer from Penn, then Kiefer, then James Hopper, and then Dahlberg. So this would suggest that we might see Graziani and Kiefer and not the other two in James Hopper and Mons Dahlberg, which would be a change from what we saw in the NCAA semifinal, Mons Dahlberg playing there in that lineup. So that order, I think, will be something we'll talk about when we project what we think the lineup will be. That was on the Virginia side for me. Same thing on the Texas side. Also, no Cleve Harper. You mentioned this. Don't know if he is ill, injured. Not sure if we will see him on Thursday. But their kind of four through eight lineup was pretty straightforward. I think it was what we expected, where you had PY above CM, CM above Jonah, Jonah then above uh, Lucas Brown in this case because of no Cleve Harper. So before we say what we think the lineups will be and make projections, I want to look to what UTR tells us here. And I know oh, I, I can already tell you what UTR is going to tell you. Know? Well, do you think you can do the order? Oh, in terms of the order. In terms of the order. Maybe I can do the Virginia order. I, I don't think I could do the Texas order. Well, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Yeah. And I will tell you the positions UTR says we would be getting. This is again in order of their UTR and also who would win. So in this case, it would be in Yaki Montez versus Elliot Spaziri. That would be a win for Texas. Number two would be Chris Rodesh versus Jill Bailey. That would also be a win for Texas. Number three would be Dylan Dietrich versus P.Y. Bailey. That would also be a win for Texas. Number four would be Jeffrey von der Schulenberg versus Micah Braswell. That matchup we were just discussing, this would also be a win for Texas. Number five would be Alex Kiefer versus CM Waldeep. This would also be a win for Texas. Lastly, at six, it would be Graziani of Virginia versus Cleve Harper. This would also be a win for Texas. We discussed this on the favorites episode. Not only is sort of the power aggregate six here for Texas, making them a significant favorite, but also line by line, it's not close, but very interesting to see what UTR would suggest. I don't think this is the lineup we will get. So I'm going to give you my projections for the lineup. I think we will get, you tell me where you think I got it wrong. Okay. All right. Virginia. I think we're going to get number one, Chris Rodesh. Number two, Inyaki Montez. Number three, Dylan Dietrich. Number four, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg. Number five, Alex Kiefer. Number six, Eduardo Graziani. So one through four, no notes. I, I would flip five and six. I, I think that they've played Graziani ahead of Kiefer for a reason um, in those first couple of matches. Uh, I I don't see I don't think that's hand waving. You know, I, I think that that's they've done that for a reason. Um, you know, Graziani got a rep on court one. Actually, that's how many players they pulled against James Madison. Um, so yeah, I would I would uh I would expect that you're gonna see Graziani ahead of Kiefer, but yeah, otherwise no notes. And and if and if that is the flip that gets made, it wouldn't it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is. Graziani, a, a transfer here, yep. definitely has a lot of experience, was Ivy League player of the year, played number one at Penn. But this is going to be a big step, big up, step up in yep. competition, not competition level, but just an environment, right? This is the first sort of big match he's played in. That's why I had him at six, 
uh, gave Kiefer the benefit of the doubt there at five. But yeah, I think we could see all sorts of things happening at five and six, but those I think are the two most likely. Glad you agree. Let's go to Texas. Number one, Elliot Spaziri. Number two, Gilles Bailey. I think they're going to just throw him to the wolves and say, like, have that, at it. That, that would be doing that. Yeah. yeah. Number three, Micah Braswell. Number four, P.Y. Bailey. Number five, C.M. Waldeeb. Number six, Jonah Braswell. I think Jonah and Cleve are going to split time here, but we haven't seen Cleve yet this season. So I think Jonah will play. What say you about this Texas lineup? Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to agree. I, I have a hard time seeing... Um, seeing Bruce Burke choosing out of having Micah play a freshman in flavor in favor of having Micah play Inyaki of all players, right? I mean, how many guys have you spoken to, right? Who look at Inyaki and they're like, "That's the toughest match I have on my schedule." Um, you know, to, to put names, both Garrett Johns and Cannon Kingsley. When I yeah. asked them who the toughest player they've played in college, they both said Inyaki. You know, he he's probably looking potentially at, at Micah against a first year going, that's a point that I can probably count on. Um, I think it's slightly disappointing. I would love to see the two first years play each other. I mm-hmm. I, I think that would be awesome. Uh, and Micah versus Yaki would be a and Micah versus Yaki match. Very much a battle of styles. Um, mm-hmm. And then you had PY4, that's for sure. CM at five and then Jonah at six. Yeah, I think all that's, I think that's probably, that's probably what we'll see. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule out that he could flip uh, uh, Gilles Bailey and and Micah, but I, at this point, I'm not sure why he would. You know, it, it seems sort of like they've created a lineup where they're both in a position where, especially this early in the season, there's no data on any of these matchups other than Chris and uh, Chris and Elliot. So you sort of do some data gathering, play a bunch of new matchups, see how it goes, see how stylistically your guys match up with with their guys and and then sort of go back to the drawing board because in all likelihood these two teams not only are going to see each other in may but it's very possible they could see each other in a month at indoors yeah um so this is all an opportunity to get get data i can't imagine he's going to fight too hard about the the micah jeffrey matchup i think he'll probably be pretty happy to let it ride at this point so it'll be uh it'll be pretty interesting so one position we haven't spoken about is doubles do you see anything from this opening weekend that suggests anything? <laughs> I mean, last time well, these two teams I mentioned, Virginia yeah. took a doubles point, but Texas, I think, traditionally has maybe been a stronger doubles point. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, so with Cleve not playing, that throws a bit of a monkey wrench. Well, into... we don't know that. He could play doubles. We just haven't no, no, no. seen him yet. I'm saying with in the first couple of Oh, weeks, like, yeah, in, like you don't yeah. know if those are real. In, in the first two matches with, with Cleve not playing, it throws a bit of a monkey wrench into all of it. And on the flip side, UVA didn't have Inaki Montez playing. But if you look at UVA's double doubles lineup, I think it's pretty clear where he goes. Yeah. Because he and James Hopper made the semifinals of All-Americans, I think. So if you pull Graziani out of that doubles lineup and put Inyaki Montez in his place, you've got Montez and Hopper, who, like I said, played All-Americans together with some success. You've got Jeffrey and, and Chris on court two, who, who played down the stretch of last season with a great deal of success. And then you have Dietrich and Kiefer, who essentially Dietrich fills in the Ryan Getz spot on court three that was left when Ryan Getz graduated. So I think that's what you'd see from UVA's doubles. Um, so 
no real questions about it other than the fact of with UVA's doubles, it's become really clear in the last three years, really going back to, you know, 2021, what you see is not what you get with UVA's doubles as far as January, February goes. I mean, I think the last two years, UVA hasn't rolled out the doubles teams that they play in NCAAs until the ACC tournament. So it's pretty likely that at some point, you know, everything gets redone in UVA's double. So take take all this with a grain of salt. Um, as far as Texas goes, it's very possible that it's sort of the same thing. You imagine they're going to put Cleve and Elliott back together on court one. Um, and then they rolled out, they kept the the Woldeeb PYB pairing together, I believe, from last year. And then it's Micah Braswell and Gilles Arnaud Bailey. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing because Micah Braswell was the only, was the player on that team who didn't play doubles last year. Um, so interesting to see him getting into the lineup. Interesting to see Jill Arno Bailey in the, you know, in the doubles lineup as well as a first year. Who knows if that's a real team, but it's very possible that that three team for them is going to be a bit of a work in progress all year long. And one and two are the same as last year. And so that's, you know, quite possible that that's going to stick, uh, with that same four. Yeah. There's oddly, it feels like a little more continuity with these Virginia doubles teams, assuming we get what yeah. we think we will than Texas. Of course, Texas anchored by Harper and Spaziri, but I don't know kind of what that will look like at two and three. They've split the brothers, so they're not doing yeah. brother pairings. And that's interesting. I mean, you know, doubles is such a relationship game. Those three teams, essentially, at least those two Virginia teams, have played in the NCAAs together. And if you go back to that, that, uh, doubles point in at, at NCAAs that that team of Chris Rodesh and Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, what they did to Sam Waldeeb and PYB on court two was sort of the Kickstarter for that whole, you know, two days worth of doubles form. I think it was six one and I think they were up four zero. So it's like, do you really want to, you know, was it was that was that a moment and doubles it goes so fast. It's a you know it's a six game set with no ads. It, it's here and gone. Are we going to say that that was a one-off, which we see all the time in college doubles, by the way. You see one team blitz another, then the next time they play, it's a 7-6 set. So, you know, that's perfectly possible. Are they going to keep that together? Are they going to split it up? Are they going to flip the matchup so that that team's now playing court three? There's a lot of possibilities for Texas's team. I thought that we were going to come into the year and see a split of Elliott and Cleve because both are so good at doubles. And the doubles point was such a turning point in the UVA-Texas match uh, last year. but it seems like they're going to keep that together for now, but it, it's quite possible that in Texas's case, same as UVA, come you know March 1st, we could be seeing three completely new doubles teams and what we're going to see on Thursday. That's actually a very interesting point because having made the finals of All-Americans and assuming, let's say they just play through indoors. Indoors. They're going to be ranked. They're going to make NCAAs, which is really all they care about. Yeah, seeding would be nice, but... You know, how far can you really fall? It doesn't really matter. So that could be very interesting. That's certainly a storyline to watch later on in this season. But it's come time to make our predictions. I am going to go. I'll let you go first, Ethan. Uh, I'm curious where you are leading. I know you think Virginia will win their third straight NCAA championship, but we are not in May. So how do you see this match playing out? I think Texas wins. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is. This is a different looking match than what we've seen from UVA in the early season struggles. I think we're used to seeing UVA look, I mean, frankly, not like themselves uh, in these early season matches where they sort of get blitzed. They got run off the court a couple of times. I, I don't think we're going to see that necessarily, but 
uh, I think a couple of things are going to be different between this and what we saw last May and then potentially what we see again in in upcoming May. Uh, the first being, I think Texas probably wins the doubles point. Um, you know, UVA's early season doubles point is always a bit of, a, you know, it changes day to day. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not so great. And sometimes that form leaks all the way into May. So, I, you know, I think that's a big difference. I think Texas wins the doubles point. But then, yeah, you know, I would be worried about a Micah Braswell, Dylan Dietrich match. It's Dylan Dietrich's first real test in college tennis. It's on the road. It's, you know, a night match in Austin. It's supposed to be an outdoor match. You know that Texas is going to fill the joint. It's going to be pretty crazy. Um, so that that that's a match that would worry me. And then you just look at, at five and six, and I think you have to think that Texas probably has the upper hand there. I wouldn't rule out UVA winning a couple points in singles. Uh, I think they'll be very competitive on on courts one, two, and four certainly. And and I I wouldn't rule out the fact that that Dylan you know could make a match of of court two or of court three. But um, yeah, I would be concerned if you know dropping the doubles point. UVA needs to win the doubles point if they're going to go into Austin and and win the match. Given what we've seen from UVA early on in the season. And I, you know, I just, I think that's a, it's, it's a pretty uphill battle. They could do it, but yeah, I'm going to go conservatively. Let's go four uh, two Texas. Well, you stole my scoreline and winner. Sorry. I, I too think it'll Great be minds. a, a Great Texas four two. Yeah. Or group think or group or think on this podcast, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so I think there's a few bigger picture things, which is you, I have no doubt that Texas is going to get up for this match. Oh, yeah. They have been thinking about this match since May. I'm not really sure how what you're going to get. Virginia is going, yeah, and that's that's a tough thing. I think they're they're just prioritizing different things. Both these teams want to win a national championship, but you know. The Texas team has been training for this match. What have they been thinking about over winter break? I just don't get the sense that Virginia has. They're certainly not overlooking Texas as a competitor, but I think they have learned to ride with some of these disastrous January or Februarys. It's a low. It's a it's a low priority match. Lower priority match. You know, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's I, bragging. It's a bragging rights match. Well, I think it's like it's tough because now that they've won two national championships. Every other team's goal is number one to win a national championship, and then it's to beat Virginia. And if those two things happen, it, two birds, one stone in the NCAA's, that's amazing. If it happens four months apart, that's also amazing. So I just think there's a level of um, of intensity that you usually Desire. see with Virginia in May that might not be there. So I lean Texas there. You mentioned it. I think that hopefully the crowd will be great. I will be one of the nonpartisan people there supporting both teams, hoping both teams have fun. I agree with you, though. I think it's very possible that the three most veteran players on this Virginia team find ways to get points. I think it's very possible. Rodesh beats Bizzieri, although it's a tough task in Austin. In Yaki versus Gilles, I mean, that probably have to lean in Yaki. And then if Jeffrey probably doesn't before, probably doesn't finish, it doesn't finish. But I'm saying if needed, I think all three of those players could get points. But yeah. I agree with you. I think Texas takes dubs. And I think this is actually going to be the season long question for Virginia is how good is Dylan Dietrich? And is he like a guaranteed win for them? And then can they find or at least split a five and six? And so because of that, I think at this stage in the season, I think Texas takes dubs. Micah beats Dietrich if they face and then Texas sweeps at five and six. That gives them four. The other ones don't finish. 
or two for Texas in a match that will make these Longhorns very happy. Ethan, anything else to add? I hope they rush the court. <laughs> I think they definitely will. Good. <laughs> so Good. that is our match preview. No women's match preview this week. We went long on this match because look, I'm going to be there. We're going to have to preview it. We'll have to do a recap of it. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing these players in person. I'm not going to be at men's indoors. This is my one chance to check out in New York. I know. Are you going to go to that? No, <laughs> not just like sneak up. It's so easy. If UVA is in the final on Monday, maybe. Okay. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. We'll, we'll, I think we'll know more if Virginia is going to make the indoor final after this match than we do right now. Probably. So with that, Ethan, thanks for doing this. I'm looking forward to really what is the kickoff of the 2024 season. Number one, Virginia at number three, Texas in Austin, Thursday, 5 p.m. I will see everyone there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.